All right, so uh, we're covering uh, through chapter two is the uh, is the direction that uh, that Leland gave me this morning, or or, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, and I want to start with uh, the idea that begins in chapter one and verse twenty seven. I'm going to read the last four verses of chapter one and uh, verse twenty, starting in verse twenty seven as we begin. Okay. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, that, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, and not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake." experiencing the same conflict that you saw in me and now here to be in me. So there's, I feel like there's a, a theme that starts in the end of chapter uh, 7 uh, that will carry on through the end of, uh, of chapter 2. Standing firm and, and standing together. Um, this, this theme also kind of continues on in, in chapter 3, which we'll get to later uh, in, in coming weeks. And there's the idea of, of unity. Uh, Paul's going to talk about you need to be unified. We're going to talk specifically in a couple of ways about how we need to be unified and how to approach that in a minute. But unity uh, is something that, that Paul talks about a lot in his epistles. Um, he talks about it in, in a couple of ways, really. Unity in implying that it excludes people who are in error. And unity in the sense that it excludes people who are in sin. Unity, excluding those who are in error or or those who were in sin. Kind of a common theme, and such is the case, I think, in in this passage. Uh, Stand firm, uh, hold to sound doctrine. And what's going to happen is you're going to be met with with opposition. He talks about that in uh, in the last four verses of of chapter Um, 1. If... If you see this opposition, uh, they will be, and if you're refused to be, to be uh, swayed by persecution or, or, and remain united together, if you continue to stand firm and stand together, it will become a sign to the opponents uh, that they are on the road to destruction and the Christians are going to be delivered to, to a, greater, a greater salvation. And a greater salvation that is not just avoiding death. What, what does Paul mean when he, when he says you will, be, uh, you will stand firm in one spirit and there will be a salvation for you? If you quick, quickly uh, flip to chapter 3, verse 20. Chapter 3, and verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity of the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, even subject to all things, to himself. So Paul understands salvation not as a rescue from death. So you're going to see this, uh, this, this need to stand for doctrine even when you suffer and you may even die. The result is not going to be an escape from death. That's not the salvation you're looking for. But the salvation you're looking for is overcoming death in a resurrected body. That's what you'll have. Well, that's Paul's belief we see in, in, the, end of, uh, in the end of chapter 3. So... This is how you should conduct yourselves. Stand firm and, and stand together. So just want to take a brief second and, and, and start with this part, of the, this part of the book. Because I feel like it carries into chapter 2. 
Make sense, okay? Now, chapter 2, what we call chapter 2, but you know, just again, a continuation of what, what Paul is, uh, is describing. Look at verses 2, uh, excuse me, verses 1 through 4. Standing in firm and standing together can mean a lot of things. Philippians, let me talk to you about how it comes to how you think. You need to think the same way when it comes to standing firm uh, and standing together. Verse 1. Therefore, since I've asked you to stand firm and stand together, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. All right, take a quick, um, quick uh, interlude for a second. And let's talk about the church in Philippi. Um, what kind of city was Philippi? Give me some characteristics. What I mean is uh, primarily Jewish, primarily Gentile, big, small, prominent. What kind of city was it? It was a Roman city. Okay, so a Roman city. If you look in, uh, tell you what, just stay, stay where you're at. Acts chapter 16, I'm going to read a descriptor that Luke provides to, um, to Philippi. And on, uh, on Paul's journey, Acts, uh, excuse, yeah, Acts 16, verse 12, and there, from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, we were staying there in the city for many days. So it's a, a somewhat prominent city in the region they're in. It's a Roman colony, so it's, it's going to be um, maybe more Gentile, more diverse than like a pure Jewish city, like we had seen um, in, in, uh, in Canaan, for example. Um, now, the, this, therefore, there's different groups and different types of people that are going to be converted. First, first uh, convert that we record, we see recorded anyway in, in the city of Philippi. Good Bible students, if you remember from back, back when you were a little kid. There's a lady. Lydia, Lydia right? A, a, prominent, um, a prominent businesswoman. There's another, uh, there's another man who's converted in Philippi. What was his job? He's a jailer, the Philippian jailer. You've also got, and we don't know if she, she, she stays you know, converted, but she at least has an impact when it comes to Jesus Christ as a woman who was part of an occult. Uh, so you've got a, a businesswoman, a, a military a jailer, and a former slave girl who's part of an occult. So if, if that's just the three that were referenced, we, we recognize that this is likely a, a diverse uh, group of people. This is not a homogeneous congregation of a bunch of just extended family uh, from one group. This is, this is a group that needs to be told, especially first generation, first generation Christians, right? These are not people who are eight, nine, ten generations in to being kind of quote unquote born, born in the pew. These are all from different backgrounds and are hearing Jesus and are, are working and worshiping together for their first time. So, hey, you need to understand, recognize standing firm and standing together is important. And part of that is thinking the same way. Even though you've come from different backgrounds, you need to think the same way. Okay? So this is important to, to recognize as a, uh, as a young, immature, diverse uh, New Testament church. 
When, one of the ways that you think the same is when it comes to how you think of yourself. What is his basic point in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4? Having all that introduction I just gave. What's his initial point? Right. Let others be, let others be before yourself. Um, the only way that unity works in this local congregation, Philippians, the only way this is going to work is if, if each individual's life, no matter where it came from, um, is less important uh, than the lives of the body of Christ that you're in. You have to see not only the interest of yourself, verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. So, so, so look out for yourself. But that's kind of organic. It's kind of what we do. It's kind of natural. But also look out for the interests of other people. That's how you have to think the same. It's one of the characteristics of being a local church is you have to think the same. And one of the ways you think the same is you're thinking about everyone else who's in the congregation. With me? Now, uh, he's going to offer um, a, a kind of, a, to me, a poem in the next uh, verse 5 through 11 that illustrates that. But sometimes we just pluck out verses 5 to 11 without, without you know, pure context in, in my mind. So let's think of it in this, in this way. If you're, if you're using Jesus' life and Jesus' humiliation on the cross as an example to prove a point, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good point. Pretty big point. Okay, so remain firm. Remain firm in the doctrine and the suffering that you've un, un, that you're enduring. Chapter one. Remain firm and remain united in the submission to one another and thinking about one another. Uh, chapter two. Any comments before we get into probably the most familiar part of this uh, chapter? Yeah, John. Oh, that. Being of the same mind, of course, you pointed out their diverse background, but even if they had been all exactly the same background, the same lesson would, have, would apply there. Sure. And, of course, being of the same mind has to be based on the Word of God. There's, there's where you unify right there. No, exactly right. Exactly right. If you look at, um, yeah, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 27, and I probably didn't linger on that. Uh, enough at the end of the verse i will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel right so you're not just striving together for anything you're striving together in a common faith that you share that i shared with you initially in the faith in the gospel of christ right that's what binds you together it's a good point john now um, i'm trying to um I try to adhere to, you know, since Leland's not here and he, he always makes a comment about sermons and preaching and stuff like that and everything's got to have three points. This is an ode, ode to uh, Leland. Uh, so we're going to break up chapter uh, 2, verses 5 to 11 into, uh, into three points. So Paul's claim to me in this, in this poem here is if you reflect on how Jesus, Jesus thought, it will change how you think. Be united together in how you think. Here's one way to do that, Church of Philippi. Think about how Jesus thought. Okay? First, first point is he was God. Jesus was God. Tell you what, let's read it and then I'll get into the uh, couple of points. Verse 5. Having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus 
who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So first, first thing to recognize, Church of Philippi, Jesus was God. Paul is, is, is claiming Jesus had the same qualities of God as God has. The, the things that identify Jesus as Jesus are the thing, same things that identify God as, as, as God. Jesus was God. Imagine um, what kind of life it takes for Jesus to lead, what kind of speech it takes for him to, to have, what kind of example it takes for him to follow for somebody who's a Jew to claim that he's God. Um, for Paul to say that Jesus was God was counter to a lot of the things that Paul grew up thinking, right? Um, a, a, a deity um, coming down as a man, um, I'm not sure about that, but Jesus is, is, is God. Not under the Father, but an uncreated equal uh, to the Father. How does this impact how you think? How does this impact how you think if you're a Philippian? The first thing that comes to mind is you recognize who that you're talking about who's come and died for you and taken away the obstacles of death and of sin and the law. It's not a, a, um, a figure who was voted into an office. It's not the leader of a, of a movement that we, that we elected or we decided to be part of the, uh, the leadership of the organization. This is, this is God who's come down. The most powerful being who could take your place and substitute for you in death and, and, and substitute for you in your, in your relationship to sin or your relationship to the law is God. Okay? Jesus is God and your mind has to be changed um, accordingly. Secondly, Jesus became God, uh, or well, excuse me, was God and became man. Now, the, the language that he uses here um, is, is such where he, he's not saying, having been God, he took off God and became human. He's saying, having been God, he also took on the form of being human. Okay? And I think that's what Paul means when he says in verse 7, he, he emptied himself. How did he empty himself? He became a man, just like you. To God, that is the same as emptying himself. If he has to become a creature as lowly as man. Jesus is God. Jesus also became man. Okay? And why is that important? About when it comes to standing firm and standing together in the way that you think. I've got, I've got a thought on it, and I'm going to share it, and then I'll open it up for, uh, uh, for discussion here. If Jesus is God, heavenly, spiritual, all-powerful in that area, Jesus becomes man, physical, uh, on earth, teaches, eats, walks, sacrifices. 
It can mean a lot of things, but one of the things it surely means is the things that happen in heaven and the things that happen on earth are both important. The physical world is not uh, to be discounted. What you're doing, what's going on here on earth is important. So much so that God came here on earth and taught and lived and walked. Um, Here's what, let me elaborate on what what I'm thinking a little bit. So this is... You know, oftentimes, in in some religions, the the physical world doesn't matter. Um, It can be considered, like, just pure evil or defiled. Or in Eastern religions, it's just an illusion. It's a figment of your imagination. It's a hallucination. Um, To to me, Christianity says, well, the real world matters. The physical world matters. How do you know? Because God came and dwelt in it. Um, And it became a part of it. What he did here was valuable and instrumental and important. And what you do here is instrumental and valuable and important. So when I say think of others, when I say do nothingness of selfishness or empty conceit, that is physically what's going on right here present. You need to recognize that what's going on within the church is important. It's part of the physical world. And Jesus was a part of the physical world too. You can't just... Be spiritual, ignore the physical impact on the world that we're having or the impact that the physical world has on us. Take care of each other, being an impact to the community, helping keep the community clean, safe, helping those who are less fortunate, helping those that are in your your local church community. We have to actively pursue it because Jesus emptied himself and actively pursued us in a, in a physical world. Because, um, because of that, he was God, and, and he became human. So when it comes to being selfish or, or, or having conceit, recognize you have, to, you have to put that aside, because Jesus put it aside you know, when he was here. We'll pause and uh, take a breath. Any uh, comments uh, so far on what I'm saying here? You pick, man. So... You caused me to think of Hebrews chapter 2, which is saying a lot of the same thing as Philippians chapter 2. Jesus became just like his brethren. He became one with them, and it was because he considered them what he needed to do for them. And that's really what Paul is trying to tell the Philippians. It's like, you need to be just like your brethren. You need to be one with them, and you need mm-hmm. to think like them because, of, because you need to consider what you need to do for them. No, you're, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I- I got a follow-up comment, but Brian might make it. Cameron, Brian's got something. <clears throat> really pretty close to what uh, Jonathan just said there, but I, I was also thinking about Hebrews and thinking about that high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, if you think about standing together, what better way for God to show that he wants to stand together with us yeah. than to actually come down and experience the same things that we've experienced. And when we're trying to stand together with others, one of the best ways is to experience that empathy, to put ourselves mm-hmm. in their position. And, and that's, exactly what, that's exactly what Christ did for us. Oh, you're exactly right. Both of you hit on a point that I've got written down here. We should view you know, every relational conflict, every relational problem as an opportunity to learn more about Christ. I mean, Christ had relational conflict. Um, if someone's treating you in an offensive manner, you know, Jesus knew what that was like. Um, he can empathize. Um, if, if we are... 
if our feelings are, or, or we're getting mistreated or betrayed or we're deserted at a time of need, I mean, Jesus felt the same. Like he, he, he understands that. Uh, he understands that. He didn't have to. He emptied himself of his right um, as, as God to, to, to forego that, came down to earth and felt the same. If you have that example that you're appealing to for your salvation, turn it to those who are members and brothers and sisters in, in your body. Um, as the, those who, who, who you think, think about and how you selfishly, selflessly look uh, to their interests um, along the way. Yes, John. just going to say a little bit of what you just said, I think. Uh, verse 6, where he said he uh, did not regard equality of God a thing to be grasped or something to be held on to at any cost. You think equality with God, is that important? Wow, yeah, it really is. But to Jesus, there was one more thing that was more important and that was us our souls our salvation and so he was willing to give up something greater than we could even imagine what it would be for us and so that's the example consider other more important than self right i think you're right john when when you're talking one of the things that i don't know why this popped in my mind but think about the end of chapter seven of matthew the end of the sermon on the mount how did people react to what they heard. What, they, what was their conclusion? He was different. He's different. This is a man of authority. So even people saw, like, man, this guy is not like us. Um, so he has characteristics. He has qualities that make him different. And, and what Paul is claiming is those qualities, those were God qualities. Now, he gave up a lot of them to come down and empty himself uh, in order to, uh, hey, Cameron. You can't see, but David's over here. Um, he gave them up so that he could come down here and be a, a, a man. And uh, before, I, before I continue, I'm going to let David uh, comment. We'll get to that last uh, point. Yeah, David. Uh, to your point, I don't think uh, in some way he gave a lot of that up. He just chose not to do it because if you look at it, Satan recognized all his powers. And he called him out on temptations trying to have him use those powers he still <laughs> possesses. Right, you're right. I mean, take, so, great segue. He became a servant. You know, what, I mean, he could have been any type of man. He could have come down as Caesar's equal. Uh, he could have come down as a, a pharaoh-like uh, man. But instead, he, he didn't come down as a strong human or a powerful ruler. He came down as a, as a servant. Uh, he came down as a servant. When we, um, you know, like, like, like uh, John was mentioning in verse uh, 6 about the equality of a, with God, you know, we, we pursue equality with God, don't we? When I, look to be, um, when I look to do things my way, or when I like to do something that um, makes me happy, um, when I'm doing something that, that I want to do, because uh, uh, I'm the king of my domain, we, we want to have uh, equality of God as something we can grasp uh, to use Verse 6, Jesus had the same opportunity, even as a man, could have been any type of man, chose to be, chose to be a, a servant. He got his identity through, through service. If you look at uh, verse 8, I mean, there, there's the, the epitome of, or go to verse uh, 7. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of man, and then the ultimate in identity of being a servant is in verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus got his identity through, through service. So, 
Um, so what about you, Philippian? Uh, if you see this, if you recognize how Jesus thought of you, how should you think of those who, who you're reading this letter with, who are hearing this with you uh, together? Though we were not God, we found equality with God something that we wanted. Um, and, and God showed us that in order to get that, we had to fall to the ground. Um, Jesus um, took the death that, that we needed. Excuse me. Jesus took the death that we deserved and took it upon himself so that, so that we could be exalted. We see him being exalted as a result of this, verses 9 through 11. Um, now, quick, quick kind of side note. The Philippians were living in a world where other people claimed to be exalted to the heavens. Who, who claimed uh, deity and the ability to be exalted to the heavens? Caesar, right? Caesar and Caesar's family. And what's interesting in, in studying for this is the way that this is described in verses 9 to 11 is similar language that would be used for, um, for a Caesar um, who became a god after he died. And I think what Paul is trying to say in this poem is, look, that what you see in the world is a parody of what is real. Uh, Jesus is God. Jesus became human, and he was a, identified himself as a human servant. Therefore, you hear of others being exalted to the heavens, the one that you're following, the one who, in whose name you are, you are baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, this is the one who is exalted to the heavens. And why? Because he came as a servant. Now, if you think like that, if you remember what he did for you, um, it can certainly help you to empty yourself and do nothing from selfishness or, or empty conceit. Any comments on uh, on that uh, that section, that little poem there before we uh, before we move on? All right, <laughs> verses eighteen. Uh, yeah, twelve through eighteen. Verses twelve through eighteen. Now that you've had a, a poetic view of Christ's life a and how he sacrificed for us. It's time to go back to let's focus on let's focus on you again. Working out your type of salvation um, in comparison to this Jesus who's been exalted, not in comparison to the to the Caesar that you see day to day, but in comparison to to Jesus. I'm going to break this section up in a couple of uh, sections, a couple of uh, snippets. Please feel free to comment uh, comment as we go. Verse twelve. So then, so because of everything we've talked about so far, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do, excuse me, and to work for his good pleasure. Work, work out your own salvation. You know, it's, it's, we know that Paul doesn't mean work out your own salvation in the concept of earning it. He's already... He's already put that to bed in the book of Ephesians. He's removed that idea in Ephesians chapter 2. By by grace, you've been saved. So what does Paul mean um, when we talk about standing firm and standing together, when you're looking to think the same and thinking like Jesus? What what do you think Paul means when he says, work out 
your own salvation. Okay. Study the Bible for yourself. Good. Good. Anyone else? Make personal application. All right. Make personal application. If you are saved by this man who who was God, who became man, who emptied himself, and you recognize that, and you recognize that this is the the way that you've gotten uh, salvation, this is what I think he means in verse 12 through 13. Act like it. You have been given salvation, forgiveness of sins by the only God in history who's ever come down and offered it for you. The God who made you, the God who made all the earth, has come down and selflessly taken the cross. If you recognize that, if you learn to think like that, go act like it. Go act like it. I'm going to give you some specifics in verse 14 and 15. For example, quit whining. Don't complain. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. So there's one thing. Stop complaining and stop arguing. Let's get, very, let's get practical now. If you're going to act like it, here's one way to act like it. Um, Stop complaining. We are discontent about a lot of things. We get discontent about our job. We get discontent about the television. We get get discontent about the battery life on our cell phone. We get discontent about our church and our family. You shouldn't complain. If you think about it, if you're thinking like Jesus, just take a step back and remember the poem that you just heard. What What are you complaining about? Um... And there's two reasons uh, to not complain that are in verse uh, 15. Don't grumble or dispute or, or argue amongst one another for two reasons. So that you will have two characteristics that are yours. If you don't complain, if you don't grumble, if you don't dispute or argue, you'll have two characteristics that you want. Blameless and above reproach. So let's talk about those two uh, specifically. Blameless. Um, what's that mean? That's a characteristic of eldership uh, in another one of Paul's letters. What does it mean to be blameless? Right. If a person is a complainer or argues all the time, they're very open to have blame and accusation brought to them. Right? If all you're doing is chattering in a negative way or complaining about this or arguing with that person, it's very, it's very difficult to be blameless in that kind of mindset, if that's how you talk to each other. And if the world sees that, if the, if the community around you in the, in the city of Philippi sees that, um, they see conflict, they see division, you're promoting, murmuring, and grumbling. It's very hard to ascribe to the attribute of uh, blameless uh, in, that, in that regard. Same with really above reproach. Uh, when, when I read above reproach, and brought my mind to the book of Leviticus and the, the animals that are sacrificed. They are above reproach, if you'll let me have a little bit of uh, relaxation with how I'm describing, using that word. Pure, um, innocent. The um, concept is the believer you know, lives and walks as a sacrifice of God. 
uh, to God, excuse me. And if you're walking as a sacrifice to God, we have to keep ourselves from divisive, uh, divisive behavior such as complaining or, or, or arguing. If you're going to be a light to the world, you imagine these, these small lambs brought to the altar. If they're clean, spotless, pure, they stood out as a light, perhaps. This lamb is different. If you're going to be different in how you talk to one another and how you selflessly act amongst one another, you can't complain and you can't argue. If you do that, you're just blending in. You're just like everyone else in the city of Philippi. What will make you distinct? What will make you above reproach? Selflessly caring for one another will make you blameless and will make you shine as a light in the world. You can't shine as a light in the world if you blend in with the world. Okay? Any thoughts or, uh, or comments on that? Oh. I was thinking, you've alluded to this already, but taking that in context, he had just been talking about putting others first, and, you know, look out for the things of others, not just your own things, that sort of thing. And so if you were able to do that, and then you go complain about it, you haven't followed Jesus' example. Right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, uh, the natural analogy is the people of uh, the Israelites in the, in the, in the promise, in, are going towards the promised land. If you look at, uh, look at what's been done for them and they're complaining, uh, we see that example as negative. And if you're looking at someone who has Jesus in their life who's complaining um, or, or arguing, you see that as a negative example. Um, all right, verse, uh, verse 16. Um, holding fast the word of life so in the day of Christ I will have a reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain but even if I was poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith I rejoice and share my joy with you you too I urge you rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me just a just a brief comment on this I think it's it's interesting to note that another reason I want you to walk worthy and stand firm is a selfish one. Okay? I, Paul, have put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this. And selfishly, I want you to continue and stand firm and stand together. That doesn't need to be the reason. You're not doing it just for me. Like he said um, in verse um, uh, 12, just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but also in my absence. They have a natural tie to Paul. So he's selfishly going to want to say, you know, Paul uses them as, as, as a crown. Um, he sees them as a, as a crown as a, in his victory in the day of Christ. His, his reward is going to be seeing the people from the church of Philippi. Okay? Um, to me, it at least, it at least shows some personal, some personal tie here. Paul is not saying just to do this because you need to do it because Jesus has forgiven you. He has, he has the mindset that they should have. He cares about them so much that he wants his, his work that he poured into them through the Holy Spirit to be reflected in their lives, even up to the point that when he dies, which he knows is coming, uh, one of the characteristics of his victory is their united faith. Um, he mentioned something very, very similar in, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. We're not going to go over there and look, but it's, it's a secondary reason for sure, but live so that um, 
you are a reflection of the things that I taught you. And I think there's a, there's a sort of an indirect, maybe loose application you know, for us. We should live so that we are not seen as burdens to those who lead us and teach us. Uh, show, a, show and reflect joy in the things that we've learned and taught in how we interact with each other. Um, it shows us the personal side of the letter. And, and we're not here at this congregation to, to appease the elders or David or the Leland or the things that they say. But we should be a reflection of the things that they, they teach. Either through the Bible curriculum in which they, they help us to put together or the things that are actively spoken in the pulpit. If we are a reflection of those things through selfless interaction relationships with one another, it brings joy and not burden to them. Is that the reason to do it? Oh, the reason to do it is everything we've talked about uh, up front. But it is a direct um, positive consequence. If we're taught and we share in one another's, uh, especially with the man who has the Holy Spirit who's taught you, um, if you're a reflection of me, you will do these things. So selfishly, I want you to do it for me too. Um, now, verse, um, if you look at verse 18, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And if you look at chapter 3, verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write these same things again is no trouble for me. It is a safeguard for you. There's a continuation of thought in chapter 2, verse 18, through chapter, to chapter 3, verse 1. So I see the rest of chapter 2. Two as, as a bit of a, a bit of a parenthetical, but a par- parenthetical in this way. Paul is writing. Paul is writing and saying to do things like stand firm and stand together, be founded in the truth, uh, be submissive to one another, look after your own interests and the interests of others, work out your own salvation. And he's got Timothy and Epaphroditus with him. Um, and sometimes, if you're at school, you're teaching someone, or you're maybe in a business meeting, or you're something with work, or something going on, and you're discussing something, what happens sometimes in my mind is if we're discussing a topic that's vague or general or theoretical, can you, can you give me an example of what you're talking about? My mind works well in examples. If I can get an example of someone you're talking about or an idea that's specific, I can relate to it better. That's how my mind works anyway. So Paul is appealing to me uh, here in uh, verses 19 to 30. I've talked about a lot of things. Let me give you an example. Let me give you two. Okay? There's two men that y'all know of. I'm going to talk about them both um, to to help um, further the points that I'm trying to make uh, in this chapter. He wouldn't have said chapter. In this uh, this letter. Every, Every so often... I like these parts of the, the, the epistles because every so often we get a glimpse into personal relationships in the first century. Uh, and this is, this is an example. So first, we're told about uh, Timothy. Um, let me give you some examples of uh, being of one spirit, being in humility. First is, is Timothy. Uh, Timothy would have been with Paul, we know, in Acts 16. Uh, Timothy would have been known to the church of Philippi. So it's not like they don't know who this person is. And there's something specific that makes uh, Timothy worth uh, noting. Verse, um, uh, look at verse, let's just go back to verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. 
for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not of those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Timothy is an example of what I talked to you about in the first part of, uh, of First Timothy, excuse me, of Philippians uh, chapter 2. Doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Timothy, not born and raised as a preacher or a teacher, took that on and continued to help me and the furtherance of the gospel up to this point that I'm writing this letter. That is an example of someone doing something, uh, not only looking out for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Um, and he's concerned about you. Um, Verse, um, oh man, lost it. 20, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. So there's this, this word is similar to the word that's used in first in Philippians chapter four and verse six, being anxious for nothing. This, this concept of being concerned for the brethren is something Timothy has. Quick, you know, just thought, how often do we think about each other when we're not around each other? Timothy's not around them. He doesn't see them. He's seven, 800 miles away. He's six to 10 weeks journey away. Long way away from these people. Still concerned about them. Uh, still curious as to how they're, uh, how they're doing. One more quick thought uh, on, uh, before, we, uh, before we wrap up on Epaphroditus. So uh, Epaphroditus... A favored by Aphrodite, so obviously a, a Greek uh, kind of pagan uh, background, at least from his family. Uh, someone who was brought out of that, uh, brought out of that world into the church of Philippi. He was sent by the Philippian church to care for and minister to to Paul's needs. And so I, I'm a very like visual person, and I was trying to reconcile in my mind what's what's going on here because he gets sick along the way. So Philippi up here, Rome over here, Philippi up here, Rome over here. Seven, eight hundred miles is like the minimum distance you got to travel. So if you get online, just kidding. You don't have a you don't have a flight you can take. You don't have a couple of flights you can take. You're 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 roughing it. This is six to ten weeks journey probably, depending on what route you take, depending on how many stops you make. So this is a long effort. So you got Epaphroditus with a pile of money from the, Philippians, from the Philippians. They recognize at some point they hear that he's going to, to Rome. So at some point they hear he's going to prison. And they send, they know that the Romans are not going to take care of him. It is up to the person, the family, the community to take care of him. So they send someone ahead. Or they send someone to take care of him. They go, he goes, money, and he gets sick somehow along the way. And then at some point, somehow word gets back to the Philippians. I'm imagining in my mind a, a, a small group of people, maybe two or three, who are carrying this money. Someone recognizes that Epaphroditus got sick, and they go back and they tell the church. So the Philippians know that one of their own is, is sick. And you know, this is not like sick, you go to Walgreens and you get some medicine and you get better. Like Often, if you're sick, you could die in this, in this uh, culture, right? So now you've got a man who's, who's taken a lot of their goods and 
to take care of Paul, who they love dearly. We've talked about that. Leland's done a good job talking about that up so far. He built a relationship there, and is he okay? Um, but one of the things that Paul's writing here is, not only is he okay, he's come and he's a reflection of, of you. So you want an example of how to live selflessly? Look at Epaphroditus, who y'all have sent, who's a reflection of something that you've done well. Uh, taking your goods together and collecting them for my own, for my own sake. Um, God has had mercy on Epaphroditus, providentially perhaps, so that he could have care for himself and so that Paul could have care and continuation in the things that he has to do, the letters he has to write, uh, etc. Uh, and then the final, the final point really, Epaphroditus is an example of a servant's mindset that we have to have if we're standing firm and, and standing together. He has love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he wants to make sure that if, if they're worried about his own health, um, that, that they know he's okay. Again, selfless orientation towards one another. And ultimately care for Paul. Uh, caring for one another physically. Physical needs, even when it comes at great sacrifice for our own selves. Is an example, Paul says, of how you can help uh, to, be, to, be, uh, to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Thus ends uh, chapter 2. You've got 15 seconds or so if you want to make a, make a comment. Yeah, Gerald. I can give him this if you want. Right, come on. Well, just looking back on, on this chapter... We need to consider that we have rights, we're Americans, and really that supersede all of this. And Sure. And, that's, that's, and that's yeah. the way we think a lot of times. Yeah. I'm right, and they're wrong, and so I can be mean and nasty to that person and look down on them. Unless we think like that, we're given the example of Christ, who humbled himself, being God, humbled himself to the death of the cross for the very ones that crucified him and spit in his face. And, uh, and so that should put us where we need to be, uh, that we treat people the way that we should. I think it's a very powerful point, Gerald. I mean, I think not only do we have the rights uh, as Americans to do the opposite of this, but our culture is set up to do something dif- differently. Fragmented, my own bank account, my own stuff is over here, don't come over here, secured. Uh, but this is telling us to do the opposite. Share, uh, look after one another, and be mindful of one another, even when we're not in, in each other's presence. So. Good comment to close. I appreciate it, Joe. Thanks for everybody's uh, attention and help this morning.